Yes, um, for those of you uh, who, are, who just wandered in because you saw this thumbnail, um, it's, uh, so <clears throat> I, I, I've just, I've just basically put myself in charge of notifying the graphics people at Know Your News of what movie we're reviewing. That is so um, sweet of you to pretend I don't just forget every week and that it's like, it, like, it but, was, like it was delineated to be your responsibility, Alex. Right, right. But having it be my responsibility, I should have figured it out and done it and mentioned it sometime before, you know, 8 p.m. Uh, on the night before the show. Um, and I did not do that. And I do feel like I was punished. I do feel like the graphics people punished me for giving them a rush job on Friday morning. And so that is why you see me photoshopped here like this. Uh, counterpoint. Uh, no, you shouldn't have. This is amazing. I just, mean, wait, can you is... bring it back up real quick? Because I do just have to point out something that's... The ratio of like the size of your head to your little neck, I mm. think because of your beard is just like mm. so incredible. It's, like it's with great. the scar, it really is. I kind of look good great. to be honest. No, you look great. Honestly. Thank you. Like, yeah, no, that's because also you know what they did? They kept the bangs. That's a that's a very important thing. You know, it is. It is my trademark. Um, as I described in the um in the uh, little <clears throat> description below, as I described in the description. We got tired of, of reviewing bad movies from the 80s and 90s. We decided to, to review a classic movie from 1963. Um, mostly still because... Weird. Still weird. Oh, still weird. Still weird. And also, like, it's... it's uh, it brand. Like, I think part of weird in Hollywood is just high concept. The idea of this is not a normal story. This, this The scope of this is not normal. Um, they They created... A um, something that was not the case uh, for comedies at this time. Um, a lot of things had come before that were, you know, grand in their scope, but not nothing like this, and nothing like the um, crazy, legendary cast that was um, put together um, for this. Um, it was written by a husband and wife team, which I think is really. I didn't cool. know that. That's fun. Yeah. Husband and wife team. Stanley Kramer directed it. A name I know, but a name I've not Googled. So I don't remember the other things that he's done. So um, it's uh, this is it's a, it, one of our main com complaints about Last Action Hero, if I remember correctly, is that it was two hours and 11 minutes long. This is the shortest cut available of the film at two hours and 40 minutes long. Uh, somebody, somebody messaged me on Twitter, says that there exists on the Criterion Edition a 297 minute version of this which if you're not good at math is just a shade under five hours so yeah they they shot a lot for this and um i would say a lot a lot of what they cut uh isn't missed but most of what they cut is people being informed of what's happening Probably like there's a bunch of people who who go, wait a minute, what's going on? And the next time you see that person, because they've gone back and forth through all the intersecting storylines, that person knows what's going on and is all on board. But you can imagine them being told 
what's happening and being like, well, sign me up. And you don't need to see it. So I think if that's a lot of what's missing, um, it's not so bad, honestly. So I don't have a problem with the length of this movie because it felt like it took this long to tell the story fully. Mm-hmm. My problem with Last Action Hero was... Well, yes, I know. Yeah, but, that it, like, yeah. I don't have a problem with long movies. I have a problem with movies no, that feel like they're yeah. longer than the story they're telling. And this, uh-huh. miraculously, despite being 240, I think you said, um, mm-hmm. did not feel that way. And it, mm-hmm. it is because there's a lot going on. But it, I feel like, I don't know. I loved this movie. And, um, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a classic for a reason, but it is, yeah, it, um, it, it accomplished a lot. Like it, it feels like last week we reviewed a movie that should have been really great Mm. and wasn't. And this movie feels like it was so much better than it had any right to be because there's so many things in this that if they aren't pitch perfect could derail seemingly everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it is a big ask as a viewer. So um I I loved it. And it was I don't know, it was it was a blast. And even just like seeing the the names that were in this and like mm-hmm. oh, it's so much fun. So now, you fun. you said that uh when you were when I was pitching this that you had seen it once when you were maybe fifteen but didn't have a great recollection of it. I didn't, um, but I remembered a lot of stuff like rewatching it. I feel like, like I don't even I, know what specifically, but like I remember almost just like the feel of it. I probably saw this when I was eleven. Like my dad showed it to me. Like you gotta see, you got, you gotta this, you gotta see this. Um, um, and it came on two VHS tapes. You know, like it was one of those things where you had to like pop out one and put mm-hmm. another one in. And I was immediately mesmerized and um just loved the the story all the intersecting parts of it all the different characters i didn't know who any of these comedy legends were but i could immediately tell that they were comedy legends um because of how great they were at their craft um and i must have seen it a dozen times since then but it, it probably been like eight eight or so years and there was stuff i found in this that i hadn't seen before sure um and it was yeah it was it was it's it's great the movie of course is called it's a mad 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 world um and the the opening there's a if, if you watch it uh through Tubi as 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 uh, that's how I watch it and that's how or I or not uh, uh, Tubi yeah or not Tubi um there's a overture with the screens just black and they play the score for like three minutes and it's a then shame they didn't like a, have our thumbnail at that time yeah. And and then there's like a six minute opening credit scene, which is all animated, but like crudely on purpose. And it's um, it's just it's 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 a that in itself is a piece of art. Um, it's a tone uh, setter for sure too. It's a, it's a lot mm-hmm. of fun. Yeah. Um. And the they get you right into right into right in the beginning of it, which is this guy flying around winding roads in the California high desert, um, and eventually uh, passes a car um, and just shoots off of some weird ramp that shouldn't be there. They constructed it for the purposes of this shot. I'm pretty sure, but he shoots off this ramp and just, and the car flies out and the, there's some amazing stunt work in this movie. Like, uh, like just across the board, driving, crashing explosions. Like there's, I don't know. Uh, there's all these random like extras who were, 
who had to be have been stunt people just to be like out of the way of things when they're careening down the streets. Um, but this crash is very spectacular. And all these people pull up to the side because they've just seen him crash. Um, and this is where we first see Milton Berle, yeah. the legendary comedian, Sid Caesar, the legendary comedian, Buddy Hackett, the legendary comedian, Jonathan Winters, the legendary comedian, and Mickey Rooney, a very famous actor. And I think that the thing <laughs> is, is that he does his best, but he's not known for specifically all the comedy stuff that all these other guys are. But he does and- he does a great job. But it's but it's not like they picked he was a huge star, and that's why he's in this movie. But it's not because they, they looked at all the greatest comedians out there and picked him. And there's a lot of things in this that are a tall comedic. They're a tall ask even for someone who is a, mm. a very like comedically sound actor. Oh, yeah. Like there's there's so much going on in this. And to balance things that can be slapsticky but still make them make sense in a bigger story and in this world mm-hmm. is like that's a lot to ask from someone who's this is their right. sweet spot. So I thought he did right. a, a pretty good job, but you're right. It's it's funny to see. Do you know where in their careers they were in their legendariness? Uh, Mickey Rooney was firmly uh, at, right. the, at, at the tail end. Milton Berle had been famous for a long time. Sid Caesar was on the younger side. Buddy Hackett was a touring comedian. Like he was one of the biggest like stand-up comics in the in the world in the late fifties, early sixties. So this um, was like this. They they struck gold, but they knew it. There there were not like a lot of undiscovered Jemmy. Well, Jonathan Winters here. was was on the younger side too, but he he'd already known what he was doing. Um, there were not like a like this launched an unknown to superstardom stuff. Right. There um, was no there, there are people in this who end up being uh much more famous later, um, but it wasn't because of this movie. Um and there's also a bunch of like um cameos by uh old comedians as well throughout the whole thing. Um but the the gentlemen I've described all run down to take a look at, at who's crashed and he's been thrown from the vehicle and uh he does not have long to live. But I would argue he did not have long to live before he got in the car crash because Jimmy Durante did not look well. He didn't look great. <laughs> he did not look great. Kind of takes the sting out of the crash a little bit. You're like, yeah. well, yep. you know, he he's had heading a long in life. this direction a little bit. He had a long life. Actually, a lot of these people look like they've had a long life and they haven't had a long life. You know what not that yet. is? That's alcohol and cigarettes at a constant just... basis mm-hmm. from the age, of, the age of 15 till about 60. Oh, that's why you look 85. There it is. Oh, okay. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> it's Jimmy Durante. Um, and so he's uh, it, one of the guys come down, Sid Caesar, says, uh, um, I'm not a medical doctor, but I, I do have uh, you know, some experience. I'm a dentist. Do you think you're hurt real bad? And Jimmy Durante t- has a beat, looks at Milton Burrell and goes, is he kidding? <laughs> Which is just a great, it's a great Jimmy Durante uh, line. But I love how early in the, this is the beginning of the movie and we get that moment mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. fast. It's really, really fun. Yeah. Um, He, he does this uh, great um, dying deathbed confession. Of course, his deathbed is a bed, a bed of sharp rocks, but he does this deathbed confession 
where it's like, uh, you got to go down to Santa Rosita, Santa Rosita State Park. You got to dig it up. It's under a big W, 350 Gs, I'm telling you, 350 Gs. You dig it up. You dig it all up. And then you, you get yourself all fixed up and you walk down to the old neighborhood. That's right. All the gents and all the dames with a big smile, a big smile for the old smiler, old smiler Grogan. Everybody's and you think he's dead, but he's not actually dead. Um, uh, it's great because also this is the beginning of Buddy Hackett doing brilliant non-verbal work because he's like, you got to watch out for the bulls. The bulls are everywhere. And he starts looking behind him for and up and over here for other <laughs> bulls. And it's great. Um, but, but he confesses that there is $350,000 buried in Santa Rosita State Park just north of the Mexican border on the beach. Under a big W, um, and uh, then he he he, we think he's dead, but he jumps back up and says and grabs Sid Caesar and says, "Aunt Bell, you gotta tell me you don't make no difference, Aunt Bell." Uh, and finally, Sid Caesar's like, um, "It it that doesn't make any difference." <sighs> and then he dies. And when he dies, he kicks a bucket. He literally kicks a bucket. It's and, so good. And, and so great. Um, but then the cops show up and they come down and they go, yeah, he's dead. Back, back up to the other cops. What, did, was he alive when he got down here? What did he say? Didn't he say anything? Uh, no, because they don't want to tell the cops, not because specifically they want to go find the $350,000, but because they're all in a hurry to go places. They don't want to be sitting around asking questions, be answering questions all day. They want to get, they want to get where they're going. Um, uh, Jonathan Winters, who's a guy named Pike. He has a furniture van. He's got he's got a loading a whole load of furniture from Modesta, California to Yuma, Arizona. I love how specific all of the um, geography is in this. This is like a treat for me specifically because I can look at a map and go, "Oh, that's from this far to this far." Oh, that's interesting to me. Let yeah. me go on Google Maps that. How long would that take to drive? It's that kind of thing. It's we'll do that as we found out last week. Mm, yes, I did. <laughs> uh, I did. I did. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, I just happen to have that still here. Uh, there we go. La Brea to Long Beach. There it is. <laughs> you can't, you, a crane doesn't reach that far, Arnold. A crane doesn't reach that far, Arnold. but, uh, but, uh, but a, a, a car will take you from Modesta to Yuma. Um, Sid Caesar, the dentist, Melville Crump and his wife, Monica are on a second honeymoon. There. Um, um, uh, we, we find out that, uh, Milton Burl is with his wife. And his mother-in-law, they are driving to Lake Mead because a doctor has prescribed him a vacation because he had a mental and nervous breakdown because his company that makes edible seaweed is going under uh, and he's losing all of his money in said venture. So he had a nervous breakdown. So the doctors prescribed him a vacation to Lake Mead, which does not exist anymore thanks to climate change. But 50 years ago, it was a popular tourist attraction. Um, and then we, we never really find out what the hell Dingy Bell, his name is Dingy Bell. Yeah. Uh, that's Mickey Rooney and Benji Benjamin, um, Buddy Hackett. We're, we're due in Las Vegas by this afternoon. They don't say anything else. But I've got to say with that, with those names, they are entertainers of some sort. Comics. Like, like it feels like they're a comedy duo that travels and does stuff, but that's that's it they're not famous enough for anybody to recognize them but they must just do like the club scene and they they're, makes, they're probably yeah. tour whatever you know but benji but, benjamin but anyway, 100%. benji benjamin and dingy bell are definitely yeah. comic a comic duo but they never actually say it maybe 
That part is revealed in the 297-minute uh, version, but we don't need to see it. Anyway, that's who all of these people are. Um, so uh, they all the, – the cop basically, you know, they, they lie to the cop saying he didn't say anything. Um, and uh, they, uh, they get back in their cars and they, they drive away. Um, uh, <laughs> but the cops talk amongst themselves – uh, they, they, you said where you find out that the smiler made his break this morning. He he went to stop a little place for bre- for breakfast. He went into the men's room. He snuck out the back window, and that's why he was driving away so fast, trying to trying to elude the cops because he knew the cops were on his tail. Um, so they're driving around, and uh, this is where you get to meet all of them talking to each other about stuff. Um, but um, the dentist is in front. Sid Caesar's just brilliant in this. Um, since he's brilliant in this, but he's always like, look back there, look at them. They, they, they all went for it. You can't tell me they didn't. They, they, they know what they, and then, um, <laughs> Dingy and Benji are trying to figure out what a W is, uh, uh, windmill, waterfall, walnut tree. It's not a walnut tree. Shut up, Benji. Think something better than that. Um, and then, um, uh, this Ethel Merman who plays, um, the mother-in-law. It's a ultimate mother-in-law turn. It's ever. It's. I feel like this movie was popular enough that it is that it has it set back mother-in-law, son-in-law relations a hundred years. And this my mother-in-law sucks joke, like was probably existed well before this movie, but this movie blew it up to a proportion that it's still standard today. But she's yelling at him constantly about his failed venture and. Uh, the wife, Emmeline, who, little fun fact, um, Ethel Merman is older than uh, Milton Berle by seven months. Um, <laughs> so his mother-in-law, who he is so cowed by, uh, was a baby when he was born, uh, and the actress playing his wife is a full 40 years younger than he is. Um, it's like 30 something years younger than he is. And it's kind of, I mean, she's cute. Uh, but, and I get why he would be, you know, but I don't know. It's a weird thing. Anyway. Um, so there's that. And then, uh, we got, uh, Jonathan Winters playing Pike, the furniture guy who's, who's having a conversation with himself. Yes. Very funny stuff. But anyway, he decides he's going to slow his truck down, pull it off to the side of the road and see if they go on ahead of him. Maybe then he'll circle back around and take another way down to Santa Rosita. Um, and uh, he goes around the corner, sees that they've all actually gotten out of their vehicles and walked up behind him, and they all see each other. And they're all like, okay, this is crazy. Let's go over here to this big turnaround over this way off the side of the road. We'll all discuss what we're going to do, because obviously let's not do it this way. Okay? So they all discuss the idea of of let's all drive. This is the great, because it's the dentist who's involved. He's in charge. He tells everybody, we're going to go. Uh, down there, we're going to split it up in these ways uh, for um, uh, four cars that arrived. So it was split up into four quarters, $350,000. By the way, look this up. Uh, $3.6 million in today's money. $350,000. Like if you three three fifty, you think that's, 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 a, that's a considerable amount of money. But in the 60s. But, yeah. but in the 60s, that's $3.6 million to us. That's a different like a different kind of thing. So um, they're going to split it up um, and they're, they're talking about how they're, they're going to split it up all these different ways. Um, uh, 
for one, one we split up for four vehicles, five men who went down to the, to the thing. They each get an equal share. And then Ethel Merman's like, there were eight of us there, including the two wives and me, the mother-in-law. We should each get a share. Um, and like, well, how about this? Well, well they, they figured out ways like putting different shares for different things. And everybody gets different shares allocated. They ended up fi- figuring it out by 17, um, every 17 shares or whatever. Um, but then Jonathan Winters raises a good point. I get one share for being a guy, one share for going down to look at the wreck, one share for the truck, and one share for being a person in the truck. But anyway, when you figure it, I still don't get as much as anybody else, which is true. Um, of course, uh, Benji and uh, and uh, and Dingy don't want to split a quarter. They don't live together. They're not married. They don't get a like. They're not family. They can't split that. So it's different. But anyway. He does this thing where like, okay, so these two, these these three, they get this much, this much thousand dollars. This these two, those them, they get this many thousand dollars. We us, we get eighty six thousand dollars, whatever it is. Uh, but you, by yourself, get fifty six thousand dollars, and that's tax free money. And this is where I'm like, okay, the sixties were a different time, because because the guy driving the furniture van is like. Of course we have to pay taxes. It's the right and moral upstanding thing to do. <laughs> How dare you suggest we steal from the government? Oh, like, oh man, it's a different, it was a different time. It um, sure was. Uh, but, he, but at least he says, like, what do you mean not pay taxes? Even businessmen that rob and steal and cheat from people every day, even they have to pay taxes. I'm like, wow, it really was a different time back then. Because the the, 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 the corporate tax rate was... Well, it existed. Now it doesn't. But like back then, businessmen, wealthy people did have to pay a lot of taxes. They and sure so that, that, did. But it's not. But it's, isn't that crazy how things have changed? It is. How things have changed. Yeah. A couple of disheartening things in this movie in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yep. I really liked all of this because it felt like so much got established very early on in a movie that was about to get extremely chaotic. Mm-hmm. So it it was just very clear and simple storytelling of. Who are these people? What are they going to do? What are they trying to accomplish? Like, this movie gets chaotic in the most delightful way. So having this all up front was really right. helpful to the, the it, viewing it experience. Establishes so early who all of these people are individually, all their personalities. The writing is so stellar. But there's this great moment that I that is one of those things I've seen this movie I don't know a dozen times, um, and. Um, I, I, there's a moment where it still surprised me and I laughed because I've forgotten that the moment happens where Jonathan Winters is standing here and then um, Ethel Merman is standing here and Sid Caesar standing right here. Jonathan Winters calls her an old bag and she swings her purse, Jonathan Winters who ducks and it hits Sid Caesar in the eye and his his take of it like mm-hmm, is just, it's so good it's so unexpected. It's so funny. They're so great at this. Um, but it, then it comes down to um, Buddy Hackett uh, says, so like, listen, we figured it 17 different ways. Every time we figured it, somebody didn't like the way we figured it. So so I say we all go. And, uh, then now the only way to go for it is every man, including the old bag, for himself. And uh, he's, he's great. Buddy Hackett's great. And so they all begin a, a race now. They all jump back in their vehicles and they begin a race. Now, this is where I should probably include. There's a separate story that happens elsewhere. Spencer Tracy, a veritable screen legend Spencer Tracy, 
again, looks about 90, about 60. So there's a problem there. He did not look well. It's a uh, rough that, 60. It's a, it's a rough life that, that, you, that you lead. Um, but he's Captain Culpepper of the Santa Rosita Police Department. He's been on the trail of Smiler Grogan. He, he knows the guy stole the money, but he can't prove it without the money. He can't prove it without the money. So he's trying to figure it out. He's always said he hid it somewhere here. He didn't go somewhere else and hide it. That's why he's been hanging out here. So that's why he's got guys casing him, watching him to make sure. But it happened 15 years ago, and he's been on it the whole time. So, so now he's been inter- informed by the sheriff of Crockett County, who might as well be the sheriff of Crockett County, Alabama, with Andy Devine, the guy they, they picked to play him. Well, hey there, uh, Captain Culpepper. I just wanted to call to tell you that it uh, looks like Smiler Grogan's cashed in his chips. Um, but uh, <laughs> but it, we, he's, he's informed of this, and so he's, he's upset that Smiler's dead. But now he believes that all these people know where that is, and they're going to make a break for it. Um, so he's, he's brought in his, his friend, his old friend, Aloysius something. I don't know what his last name is, but they'll call him Al. Uh, but he's the chief of police. He's brought him in to like bear witness to this whole thing. This is all going to work out. Uh, he's and 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 at some point here, I'm I'm. You got to mix up the timeline because if you do it actually the, the way they they edit it all together, there's no way it's impossible. Yeah. So I'm able was able to do my notes in like certain sections. But he says to Al, "Now I'm going to take this case off the books. It's the biggest case we've ever had here. Okay, I, it's got to be solved by tonight. I want you to go to the mayor and the city council." The, the pension in my grade for a captain in the police has not been upped one red cent since 1934. Now, you know I deserve it. you got to go and talk to the mayor, put some pressure on him, like come in there, go to bat for me, and, and that way I can retire with, with class. So um, also, he wants to go on a little three-week vacation, just him and his wife, after 27 years of marriage. I was like, you might as well say 57, because that's what you look like, buddy. It looks like you've been a long, long time. But he says, um, uh, we're going to go on vacation, just you and me. We're not bringing Billy Sue, our only daughter. And she says, well, you, you, you want, like, she wanted to bring her new boyfriend over from Pacoima this weekend, but now we're going to be in Hawaii, and she's very broken up about that. But why? Well, you, you forget that when a, when a girl is six foot five inches tall, she's bound to have special problems. We never meet Billy Sue, but I would have loved to have seen the actress they cast for her. Oh, my um, goodness. So there's a huge moment late, late, late in the first act of this, but it is very funny, where Billy Sue is at the bus station. She is leaving home. She is never coming back. And she calls him at the police station. And they also have patched in his wife from home. And so he's putting two receivers together to yell at each other and have this argument. Billy Sue, listen to your mother! Um, while this is happening, Al chief of police comes in and tells him that um, that he talked to the mayor and the mayor says no. Not only does the mayor say no, the mayor says that if you even bring up pensions, they'll actually reduce your pension because he's got a two-thirds majority on the city council who's going to vote to reduce pensions if you even bring it up. Why? Because you're such an honest cop. He says they know specifically that it was you who shut down all the houses. What does that mean, Kate? What does it mean to shut down all the houses? The whorehouses? Yeah. 
There was a burgeoning brothel industry in Santa Rosita. And because he's such an honest cop, this is against the law. We're going to shut down all the brothels. And who likes brothels more than anybody else, Kate? The politicians. politicians. Yep. <laughs> and so they've decided that they're, they resent him and they're going to make his life a living hell. Um, and and so that's that's the major story that's going on here with Captain Culpepper, Spencer Tracy. We, we cut it, we check in with him every now and then, but like his story is so fairly patent, you know, like we get it. Um, it's always good to see him do the, the acting that he's doing, but for the first act of the, of the thing, they cut back to him every now and then as we see the race and the race begins now going back into the movie to see all the racers um, with uh, the dentist getting in front and then the Volkswagen being driven by driven by dinghy. And the Volkswagen convertible being dr- driven by Dingy and Benji get in front of the of the of the um uh of the of the of the furniture van who's trying to weave back and forth so nobody can pass him. But eventually Milton Burl is forced by his mother-in-law to step on the gas and get in front of it. And they all go and they're driving down this desert road, and there's a sign that says airport this way. So um here come here comes the dentist going to go is gonna go hire a plane, I guess. And so he drives and Dingy's back uh, behind him, but he's in the convertible, and there's all this dust that gets cut kicked up, and so they have to stop because the, the car won't run anymore because there's dust in the carburetor. Okay, but also uh Milton Burl's car stops right after turning left because the mother-in-law says, No <laughs> one is going to get me into a plane. So we're gonna keep driving. I said, but they're going to hire, they're going to be there before we are. They hire airplanes. Um, nobody's going to get me up in the air. As Pike turns the corner, rear ends them so hard that she falls from the back seat into the front seat with her legs way up in the air. Um, so in the scene before this, I just loved that this to me started to feel like a board game. And it was really, That's really fun right. because it's it really like. Is. Everybody's chasing the same cheese here from their own perspectives. And even the side story is not really a side story, right? Like it's, it's so well done. Um, And I, the execution of all this stuff is so good. Like there's so many, there's so many opportunities for this to fall flat and it never does. And knowing that they had five hours of material that actually makes it more impressive because I feel like what you have to whittle down, like, you have to kill all these darlings, right? You have to make all these sacrifices for things that you probably wanted to keep, but like to be able to keep the sanctity of the gags at a really good place. Like it, it's a really, really, really fun thing. But um, Ethel Merman scene is so much fun with the way that that unfolds. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, this was, this was fun to be off to the races. Like this is just mm-hmm. a, a really fun watch here. All right. So, this is where the, the 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 paths diverge, and I'm trying to like get each each major character their own like through line. Go through it real quick, and then do another one. Even though you can ex- imagine all these things are intercut over and over and over again, but it's so much easier to do the whole through line of each person. So the, the he rear ends the 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 imperial uh, convertible, which apparently makes it undrivable, and also his is uh, he can't drive his truck anymore. Um, uh, but he knows there's a bicycle on the back of the truck because he packed the truck. So he opens up the back and everything falls out because of the, the crash. So he's got a bike, but he didn't realize it's a little girl's bicycle. Milton Burl says, please, just take the bike, get to a service station, hire the best car you can, and come back and pick us up and we'll all split it. Okay? So he's like, I feel really silly. And then he drives off in this little tiny bike. Okay? Now, 
that's where everything diverges. So the Crumps, Melville and Monica, the dentist and his wife on the second honeymoon, they're the first ones to the to the airport. And they, they talk to the pilot. They're going to charter his plane um, and uh, for $250, $250, which apparently is a crazy amount of money. Uh, says, yeah, sure, for, I guess I will. So he's going to go for a plane. He's going to write him a traveler's check to cover it. And that's when Dingy and Benji, covered with road dust, run up and go, you're not going to actually hire that dentist, are you? Come on, you're not going to do it. Like, yeah, well, I guess I am. There's nobody else. There's no other planes here. I was like, was there another airport we could go to? Um, oh, there's about 10, 15 miles up the road to the other side of the valley. Go there. Okay. So I was like, let me tell you something, Dennis. I hate Dennis. I, I hate you so much. I'm not able to tell you how much I hate you in front of your wife. And and Buddy Hagen goes, and vice versa. And then uh, Caesar runs them off. Okay. Now, the plane. Do you want to explain to the kids what traveler's checks are, by the way? Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, credit cards weren't as, as available uh, way back when. So you would go to the bank and the bank would guarantee the check as opposed to a personal check, which out of state, you might not be able to guarantee it with the person you're giving it to. But it's got the Bank of America or whatever bank thing on it. Everyone knows that bank is guaranteed the value of these checks. So you sign it, you give it over to them. It's as good as cash. But you don't want to travel with cash because of the, you know. So yeah, I thought this was good. But I was wondering if you were going to have a nitpick about it. Because why would you be so prepared with traveler's checks? Well, they're, go- they're going on a, uh, on a honeymoon. They're going on a honeymoon. Oh, that's true. Where- okay, yeah, yeah. They're going that's on the second point. honeymoon. I- I'm assuming they're driving to maybe like San Francisco or something and getting on a plane or a boat or whatever, but like... That's right. There was always a, a destination in mind. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so they leave their car there and they're going to go with um, with the pilot. Uh, it is a 1916 World War One biplane that has definitely seen way better days. That's the joke. Now, the wife, Monica, does not want to get in the planes. Like, this, these planes are tried and true. Like, like come on. Be, hey, man, this is a good plane. What was this built? 1916. 1916. Well, these planes are tried and true. I mean, this is a classic. There's nothing experimental about these planes. We know they work. Uh, so eventually he, she gets her, he gets her up there. When she steps on the wing to get in the thing, her foot goes right through the wing. Probably a bad sign. But the, the best sign, the best bad sign, is when he gasses up, the, the turns on the plane and starts going. They look down at the wife who removes the little blocks in front of the plane. And she just solemnly gives the sign of the cross. <laughs> so good. And, and since he's just like, oh, he's, he's so great. He's so great in this movie. He's so it's he's so my favorite guy fun. in the whole movie. Sid Caesar. He's so good in this. But they they they're able to get up in the air after some work. They get up in the air and they're driving along. Uh, they're driving along. They're flying along. Flying. And he looks down and the cars on the freeway are going faster. The plane is going. So why don't I hire the plane? It's like, can't you make this thing go any faster? Well, wide open, I, ta- I can, but if I do it wide open, it ends up a lot of fuel. I'll pay extra for the fuel. Now! Now? No, not now. So he's trying to take out his traveler's checks, but there's a bug on the windshield. Once you know it, the, the wife's really afraid of bugs. So he smashes up the entire plane trying to hit the bug, and then he stomps on it, but his foot goes through the bottom. Anyway, somehow the plane gets to Santa Rosita immediately. Like, it's really slow, but they can go as the crow flies, so it's not a 200-mile drive. It's right. a much shorter flight because you don't have to go around everything, okay? So they land. They're the first ones there. Um, 
they get out, they hire a cab, and they because they're gonna they're gonna dig something up, they're gonna need tools. So they go to a hardware store, but it's noon, they're closed because another thing, mom and pop stores would close for lunch back in the day. So they're sure. closed, they're closed, and he doesn't want to wait until one when the store opens back up. So he's like, Listen, I gotta get all what he's a pick and a shovel. Can I get a pick and a shovel? Well, uh, Mr. Dinkler's inside. I guess he could show you where. Okay, that's it. We'll ask Dinkler. And they burst past the first guy and they run in. They don't look for Mr. Dinkler. They don't say, hey, Dinkler, I'm looking for a pick and a shovel. I need to buy that and I'll get out of your hair. They yeah. just see garden implements downstairs. So they run through a door and they go down the stairs and they're looking at this basement. The basement's got actually most things in the store or in the basement. Um, so Dinkler comes by and he, like, the door shuts. And latches and locks and triple locks. Um, I, I, I'm assuming he's very uh, he's very afraid that if the store is burglarized, that they'll come for the for the for the garden implements. Because if you're leaving the store for an hour, I don't know why you got to lock the interior doors, except for the fact that we find out later that's where they keep the dynamite. Now we're not talking about the dynamite just yet. We find out is they've they've gone downstairs. The the lock's been the the thrown the, the switch. Lights are out. He found the the garden implements. But now he's locked in the basement with his wife. So uh, the next thing he tries is a sledgehammer on the actual door itself, which is made out of metal. I don't know why he's not bashing the lock, but he's he's bashing the door itself. Door. It will not budge. Um, then he's, he, he sees there's a wooden door over in the corner. So he gets a forklift and he drives the forklift right through the door. Uh, inside that other area, there is a burglar alarm. So we're going to flip the switch on the burglar alarm. And then they'll come and let us out. But the burglar number doesn't work. So he's very angry because Sid Caesar is very good at playing comical anger. Um, he's he's a kindred spirit of mine. So <laughs> um, so he smashes the, the, the burglar alarm with the sledgehammer to bits. Um, and <laughs> his wife says, um, Melville, even <laughs> if you did get it to work and the cops came, what about the damage? They're the ones who locked us in. They should be liable for it, he says. So he takes these two wires that were supposed to be connected to the burglar alarm but aren't working. He figures if he touches them together, the, the, the alarm will work. Instead, he gets comically electrocuted. He does. Yeah. Very well. Uh, There's this so, incredible thing in this movie that is consistent where I feel like for so much of the comedy to work, the timing has to be so pitch perfect and slower but they're in the framework of a race. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I, I get so impressed by continually that juxtaposition and how well it's done. Because it's like, you you kind of have to pause for some of these gags. But yep. there's a, a the whole movie is a, a ticking clock. Like, it, it's yes, it is. so well done. Yep. So well done. Yeah. Um, so... Um, Eventually, I guess he's recovered from the horrible electric shock he's been delivered. <laughs> and he decides what he's going to, the next thing he's going to do is he's going to take a blowtorch and run it against where the lock would be on the other side of the door, which will burn it out a little bit, allow him to hit it with a few times with a, with a hammer, and that'll make allow them to, to escape. But once he's done working the blowtorch over the lock, he can't get the blowtorch to not blow anymore. So he's got, he just says, oh, I'll just set it here. It's fine. But accidentally he knocks it over. So now the blowtorch is torching 
toward the wooden stairs that lead up from the basement floor to the to the door level. Um, and uh, while he's smashing at the door uh, with with the sledgehammer, staircase catches on fire. So um, he's able to get back down from that little that little door level back down to the main basement level. And thank God the fire extinguishers are also stored in the basement, along with the dynamite, along with the, we'll see later, fireworks, along with the <laughs> forklifts, uh, along with the garden implements, and along with the sledgehammers. I wonder what, what is being stored on the main floor of this mints. store. It's just mints. It's just mints. Just different flavors of breath mints. Just mints. Um, um, uh, and, yeah. Loves, this is just Looney Tunes. Like, I, I love, I love, love, Looney love. Tunes this because it felt so Bugs Bunny to me and um, oh it's just so charming mm. <laughs> all of these sequences and we'll, we'll talk about the rest of them but I loved the the torch to the stairs stuff is, is just such a fun <laughs> moment mm. in this whole so both he and the wife are like emptying fire extinguishers all over this raging blaze now it should be noted earlier uh, in the whole, uh, at what's happening at the police station bit, um, they have people following every different team, at least keeping them so, under some kind of observation so that they know what's going on. They're like, the crumbs got themselves locked in a basement. Um, and Spencer Tracy, Captain Culpepper says, well, I guess we better let him out. And this one guy who I don't believe has a name, but he's just this, yeah. like, this desk sergeant fella. It's like, that's not fair. They locked the guy themselves in the basement. They better get themselves out. But as soon as anybody gets to where they're going, we're going to pick them up and arrest them. Uh, but that's still, it's a race, ain't it? What, what do you want the dentist to win for? I've been pulling for that guy Pike with a furniture van. And so I guess, well, keep them under observation. Do not intervene. Do okay. not let them out of the basement, but make sure that you know what's going on. And so that's that's why nobody lets them out. That's why Dinkler doesn't come back after being gone for more than an hour. Because he's been waylaid by the cops saying you're not allowed to go in there and reopen your place of business and get these guys out of the basement, even though they've lit it on fire. You have to stay out here with us. Um, so um, so that's the end of the first act of the Crumps. The first act of Dingy Bell and Benji Benjamin, they go to a different airport. It's a much nicer airport. Um, and they're like, we want to, this is a private club. We don't do charter work. It's a private pilot's club? That seems odd. Um, but they say, like, well, whose plane is that? That's a nice plane. That belongs to Mr. Tyler Fitzgerald, but I don't think he's going anywhere today. Well, can we ask him if, if he might? If he, can we just ask him? But no, you may not. And he gets, a, he gets a phone call, so they run past him into the place. Tyler Fitzgerald is played by Jim Backus, who was most famous for playing the millionaire on Gilligan's Island. Spoiler alert, he's just playing the millionaire from Gilligan's Island. That's the only one character Jim Jackson knows how to play, but he plays it perfectly. Oh, yeah. But he's he is a drunk. He is a drunk. He's a comical 1960s drunk. Uh, he is passed out on a pool table from the night before. Um, they try and wake him up. Um, and uh, he's... And Benji says, hey, he's, he's got a cold. Um, so it's uh, uh, the way they wake him up. Is, uh, um, uh, wait, we, we, we got to go down to San Rosita to see Mr. Fitzgerald. It's our grandmother. She's dying. What? Who's, who's dying? Our grandmother is dying. Oh, yeah. Grandma's dying. It's terrible. What a tragedy. Uh, so they're trying to figure out this bit together. And um, so eventually he wakes up enough and goes, oh, 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 Josh, a minute. I can't see. I can't. He can't see. I can't see. Uh, it says probably an eye cold. 
because <laughs> he's got a cold. Oh, that's a head cold. Oh, it's probably an eye cold. It's an eye anyway, cold. They, 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 oh, this is such a great line. And they flip up in the, the shades and the, the light pours in and he falls back over um, and he knocks himself out again. But they're able to wake him up, apparently, because the next time we see them, they're bursting into the bathroom. He's passed out, standing up, holding a Bloody Mary in the shower. That's how drunk this dude is. So um, He is only drunk. He is only drunk. Um, and so they're able to wake him up in the shower. We, we come this close to seeing Jim Backus's naughty bits. We do. He, sli- he, he slides down in the shower. Um, the next time we see them, he's fine. He's he's all sobered up. He's 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 in he's in his traveling clothes. He has decided apparently to drive to to fly them down to Santa Rosita, uh, and so they're in the 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 the, um, the cockpit of the plane. And he says, uh, "All right, well, why don't you go back there and make us some drinks?" Uh, drinks while you're flying? Are you sure that's all right? What kind of question is that? Uh, make us some drinks. It just just push the button back there marked booze. And he does. And like the whole table opens up and it rises out of the... It's great. Um, so um, anyway, so eventually the next scene we see them, Mark Booze, like, it's the only way to fly. Ah, ah, ah. And... and Buddy Hackett goes, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> uh, so eventually he's like, he, he hands, he hands, next time we cut back, he's handing an empty glass back to Mickey Rooney. He says, don't make them so sweet this time. And he's like, are you, sh- you want another one? You've had two already. Like, well, you sit here and I'll make the drinks. I'm going to make them like dear old dad used to. Um, I'm going to make an old fashioned like dear old dad used to. And he says, uh, but what, 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 hey, but, Who's going to fly the plane? Oh, here, you fly the plane while I'm making the drinks. Because he doesn't care. He's like, here, hands on the rudder, feet up, feet on the rudder, hands on the wheel. See, you're, you're flying the plane. Who says this boy can't fly? He's a natural-born flyer. And he starts to walk back there, and, and Buddy Hackett says, I'm going to make old-fashioned like dear old dad used to make it. And Buddy Hackett goes, well, what if something happens? What could happen to an old-fashioned? <laughs> he goes back there. And because Buddy Hackett doesn't know how to keep the plane level, it starts doing barrel rolls and stuff. Yep. And so the guy falls and hits his head and knocks himself out. So that's basically all you need to know is now Buddy Hackett is flying a plane and has no idea how to how fly to it, it. Yeah. Um, and um, or how to fly it or how to land it. And Mickey Rooney is on the headset yelling into it but can't get anybody to, to recognize him. That's the first act of Benji Benjamin and Dickie Bell. Okay, this everything was branches out crazy. So Pike is on the bike. Pike on, bike. Able, Pike on a bike. Pike on a bike. And the Finch's party is back there. And they flag down a passing motorist. Um, this is Colonel Algernon Hawthorne, played by Terry Thomas, a very British comedian. Incredibly British. The most um, British. He's the most British. The most British character in the history of American film. Yeah. I, like, I will not hear any arguments to the contrary. The most British character in the history of American film. Um, and so, um, excuse me. Um, hello, I say, need a lift. Uh, we'd, we'd, uh, could, could you give us a lift? I'd, I say, I'd be absolutely delighted. Um, so, so they get in the, it was like early SUV, uh, thing. It's like, I say, oh, watch out back there. There's some cactus on the back seat. And, uh, Ethel Merman sits on a cactus. She picks up, where shall I put this? And Milton Burrell's like, oh boy, I could tell you where to put it. Um, so he says, um, I, I'm, I, Desert Floor is my hobby. I'm on leave from Vandenberg, the old missile place. I looked it up. Vandenberg uh, Air Force Base is out, just outside of Santa Barbara, California. 
and it was a place in the 60s that they were going to shoot missiles from at the Russians should the need arise. He says, I'm there doing a liaison work for the British government. Oh, very hush, hush, and whoosh, whoosh, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, hush, so hush, nuclear war, hush, hush. Hush, nuclear, hush, hush, nuclear <laughs> war. Hush, 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 hush. <laughs> but he's like, John, leave from that. Okay, so they're, um, they're driving, um, Pat, they, they see Pike on the bike. Milton Burrow wants to stop for him, and Ethel Merman will not let Algernon Hawthorne stop. Just keep on moving. He's the guy who crashed into us and left us there. Keep moving. So they pass Pike on the bike, and he's, he's able to go. So um, they pull over, trying to hire a car, but there's no cars available. They're in the service station. They say, will you just rent us your tow truck? Rent us your tow truck. Uh, and he says, but Mr., it's our first week open. How can we do without our truck? We're in business. Um, so they can't get a truck there, which means they're going to have to get Colonel Hawthorne to drive them somewhere. And as Milton Pearl says, if he would be in, he would be entitled to a share if he drove us all the way down there. And if we don't tell him all about it, he's not going to drive us down there. And so Arthur Merman says, no more than 10%. There's no way he's risen anymore. So she's so good at this, man. Like so every beat she has is like a, is a scene stealer. She's just incredible. Um, and Ryan, see, the first movie you've done, I haven't seen. And unlike the ones we we have done that you have seen, this is actually a good movie very, and very comes good. highly recommended and you should watch it. And um, I think, if I remember correctly, I think Ryan likes the movie Airplane. And I uh, feel like there's no way this, no. this didn't no. play into that. No. Like, oh, the creation of that movie. So Pike's been left behind. Uh, and he flags down a different motorist. This is played by um, Phil Silvers from the Phil Silver Show and Sergeant Bilko, another titan oh. of, of the 50s and 60s comedy. Uh, glasses, like his his trademark big blocky glasses. Um, hey, what's with the little kitty bicycle? What are you, some kind of a nut? Uh, no, listen, listen, uh, I, I got to tell somebody. I don't know who I'm going to tell. Listen, um, okay, I got to get to Santa Rosita Beach, um, but I, I got to tell you, listen, there's, uh, there's an accident down the road about 20 miles back. It involves $350,000. Now, Phil Silvers goes from the most skeptical a man has ever been <laughs> to fully on board in Completely one second. It. One second. He says, $350,000. Now, when I tell you what's happening, you just ain't going to believe this story. And I love this line. And I love the way he says it. Well, you know, try me. I'm pretty gullible. So good. It's such a great line. And it's so impeccably delivered. Um, and so I'm pretty gullible. <laughs> And then we we cut to, again, we never see anybody really explain the story to anybody they meet on the way. And I honestly feel like that's a cool convention that we anticipate what the story is. We've already seen the story. We don't need to see it. We don't really need to see their their immediate reaction. We just need to know they're on board. So the next time we see Pike. Extremely rare that movies, I feel like. I know. Before the 2000s even. Yeah. Let the audience be smart. Like it was. It's 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 really impressive, especially with how right. much is happening here. Right. Um, so uh, so he's explained everything to him. It's like, there's one more thing I don't understand. The the big W. Are you sure he didn't give you any more information about it? Like any and like, no. All he said was three hundred thousand dollars buried under a big W. Saying it was at Beach State Park. All right. Well, let's get going. Oh, hey, wait, kid. You better get out. I love to say, kid. I believe because everybody's like. 
everyone's so the, the people that are older are definitely playing younger. So I'm a, I'm I'm assuming Jonathan look. Winters, right? I'm assuming Jonathan Winters, who was 38 when this movie was made, is supposed to be playing like 25 oh, because everyone calls him kid 70. I know, but like he's he looks 50. Certainly, he, looks does, 50, he does look, but 50. he is he is 38, and everyone calls him kid. I'm assuming he's supposed to be like 25. But anyways, a kid, some somebody might uh, somebody's liable to trip on that bike in the dark. You better move it. So he gets out of the car, picks up the bike, and is about to throw it into the ditch when Phil Silvers peels out and leaves him in the dust. Um, and he waves at him in the rearview mirror because see now now he knows where the thing is. He's not going to try and split it with this guy. He's going to he's going to leave him trying to find it for himself. Um, so uh, John Winters pulls the bike out of the ditch, straightens the handlebars, and tries to drive off after him. Only about a mile down the road, um, Phil Silvers because we don't know his name yet, um, uh, um, has a blowout, horrible blowout on one of his tires, and he's able to crawl further down the road to the same service station we saw Milton Burl at before. Um, and, he's, and he hops out and he's like, hey, listen, kid, got a flat tire. Got to fix the flat tire. Remember, be a spare in the back. The spare might be flat too. If, if, if you got a new tire, put a new tire on. If you don't got a new tire, got to fix the flat. But listen, why are you just standing there looking at me? You, you could be gassing up while he's fixing the flat tire. Let's go. Um, and so eventually they do fix all the thing. They fix the flat tire. They get them all gassed up. Um, and, uh, and so then Jonathan Winters pulls up on the bike and starts chasing around the, oh, no, that's, it's that escaped mental patient. <laughs> Look out, everybody. So Jonathan Winters tries to beat him up. Um, and is, and is, is succeeding until one of the little guys who runs the, um, they're Ray and Irwin. They might as well, they might be brothers. I don't know, but they're little, little nebbishy dudes, uh, who run the station. One of them takes a bottle of something, cracks it over, uh, John Winter's heads, knocks him out. Hey, tie him up. Okay. And watch him. I'm going to go and get on the phone and call the, the hospital. I'm Dr. Zillman. He's one of my patients. Um, so, uh, yeah, doctors. So I'll get the orderlies to come out and retrieve him from you, but tie him up. I'm going to leave. Thank you so much. Look me up. Dr. Zillman, I'm in the book. So he drives off. Okay. Now, um, I love a few things here. The main one being like, uh, to me, the ruse, the pivotal point of that whole um, getaway move is him saying like, there's no other information other than the big W makes you think he knows what the big W is and nobody else in the film does. Like that is what I like that moment felt so important. And I also just love everybody's excuses for things in, in these, right? Like the, um, the mental patient, yep. uh, we have to get there for a funeral. Like it's, um, the, the trying to keep it a secret stuff is really, really fun. So later, Pike comes to while being duct taped to a load bearing <laughs> post in the service station. And as you Which might expect, how you treat mentally ill people. Right. Right. Un- until the orderlies come to get him. They did say tie him up. You know, they don't have any rope. They got they got duct tape. So um, just uh, some some people are coming. Some of your friends are coming to take good care of you. So he doesn't react well um to to being tied tied to a tied, typed to a to a so he rips would, it out really? of you know he rips it out of the ground uh, breaks it in half because he's very strong um and uh he destroys the service station it is a very long fight scene it's a handicap match that he wins handily <laughs> it's a handicap match. 
these guys are throwing everything they can at him and his is not working. Um, so he just destroys the place. There's some really great stunt work. He throws a guy yes. through a window and then he lands like on a shoulder tuck and roll on a picnic table and rolls through it and then breaks another load bearing thing. So the entire awning collapses. There's such great precise stunt work in this fight. It's so cool. The way the whole thing collapses, it's not just like, uh, something happens. Like there's specific things that Jonathan Winters does that allows certain sections of everything to collapse. It's great. Eventually he's knocked both of them unconscious and the entire thing collapses. Uh, and he takes the tow truck and he drives off with the tow truck. He's running. He stops, looks at the tow truck, gets in the tow truck. Like so this little shrug. And he drives um, away in the tow truck. To your point, this was obviously an era before special effects of a, a digital mm, type were yeah. um, really overpowering in any way. And it it was so fun to see. Like, I haven't seen a movie mm-hmm. without that. A lot of the movies we review are in a bad transitional point where they're neither um, graphically progressive now yeah. or... Um, fundamentally great like this is. This was so much fun to see. Like it was, it was um extremely well done. Um, it was the very... extent of the special effects in this is just green screen, right? Yeah, you that's know? all that that's was really the... available, right? Yeah. Um, like everyone driving is always like in a in a car that's not actually moving anywhere. And there's just green screen behind them. That's just the way every shot of this movie. Usually, is. you drive like this. Yes. Oh, there's there's some driving that does not correspond <laughs> to what's happening that we'll talk about if we have time. Um, so Otto Meyer is his actual name. His name is Otto Meyer. I don't know how they find out what his real name is, uh, but the cops know his real name is Otto Meyer. Maybe they ran a license plate. But I always thought of him as Dr. Zillman. Not that he wasn't actually a doctor, but his name was Zillman. So this is the first time I've ever caught that, that his name is not oh, Zillman. Oh, okay, yeah. Which is so weird. Anyway, so he's he's been driving for a while, okay? He pulls over for some dude, which does not strike strike me as an Otto Meyer slash Dr. Zillman thing to do. But he pulls over for some guy who says, uh, hey, I need a ride. The doc sent me for some medicine. My wife's real sick and my Jeep just ran out of gas. Can I get a ride to my house? And he says, okay. Now, this guy that he pulls over and picks up, uh, pulls over for and picks up, apparently lives in a shack at the bottom of a quarry. Like... <laughs> He probably should have told that to the dude. What he put now, it's not just down the road. Uh, you're going to have to go off-road for a long time, down a gravel stretch, and then down the bottom of a mountain. Um, so he's able to go down there um, uh, to drop off the guy, uh, but can't get back up the very steep incline that he came down. There's a little boy, obviously the, the, the man's son, who's sitting outside the shack. He says, come over here. Hey, do you know the way back to the main road? If you can get me back to the main road, um, uh, um, I said, I don't know the way to back to the main road, says the little kid. Oh, if you can do that, I'll give you a dollar. Mm, three dollars, which is a great little kid thing to the 1960s. Okay, fine, three dollars. Get in the get in the car. So the kid, uh, d- like directs him down another incredibly huge embankment and then up to a bit a, a, a river. Um, it looks shallow ish. I mean, there's some rocks that the kid can easily walk across. He says, wait, 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 wait. I asked for the main road. This is Niagara Falls. It's like, come on, it's easy. The kid walks across the stones. Now, I don't know what Otto Meyer's thinking, 
but he doesn't drive across the stones. He drives a good five feet to the left of the stones, which, as things will happen in in bodies of water, is much deeper than where the stones are, and he just sinks. Like, it's a very comical thing, where he said, this is no place for a convertible! And, <laughs> and he just sinks, and, like, it's so great, because he also sinks, and he's just sitting there. Just accepting As, as the water the rises above rising. his oh. own head. Oh, it's so, so great. great. Uh, so he's able to to get out and, and walk back to the main road, but that's for um, Act Two. The final pairing of of Act of Act One I'm going to go into is uh, Russell Finch, Milton Berle, and Algernon Hawthorne. These guys are gold together. So like much they fun. should they should have made eight buddy movies together. They, they're yep. so funny together. Um, so, but this is still all of them in the car. This is the the main sticking point of the film, the one thing that I honestly love that they included this. Um, Ethel Merman's in the back seat and she all of a sudden has an epiphany, a Tiffany epiphany. Sylvester! And she smacks um, uh, Hawthorne on the back, causing him to run the thing off the road, jump over a bunch of stuff and then back on. And we can tell that he's busted the axle of the car. Now it's not broken in, in half, but it's it's not going to last for, lo- for long. But they don't know that in the car, but we can see the, wo- the wheel wobbling, right? I'm not an, I'm not by any means entirely certain that you haven't damaged this machine. He also says 12 words where one will do. I just love. Oh, character. it's so much fun. He says, Sylvester. Okay. Sylvester is my son, Emmeline's brother. Uh, he lives about 10 miles from Rosita Beach State Park. We'll call him. He'll get there first. We'll look up the money. We'll get all of it. That's the that's her, his great, great idea. So, um, uh, he's a lifeguard there. Let's call him. They can't get through. Nobody's picking up the phone. And why? Because Sylvester Marcus, her son, is a ni- early 1960s movie drug addict. That is that is the only way to describe what this is because they didn't really have a good... Hollywood didn't have a, have a good handle on drugs and what, what they were no, doing. No, in the, in the late sixties, no, early sixties, early sixties, early sixties, even worse. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, by the late sixties, there were enough people that were experimenting with marijuana and all kinds of different things. Now, like he's on uppers in the first scene and downers in the second scene. And that's all we got to get, but he's got a girl in his uh, house who is drugged out to the max. She is just staring straight ahead while dancing like crazy. This is what the, Hollywood wanted middle America to think their kids were doing if their kids were on drugs. It is, it is smoke. It it is one step beyond reefer madness. It is one step beyond like that because that's just what Hollywood did. Um, But anyway, they're dancing like crazy to this song. That's so loud. They can't hear the phone. Um, And uh, so um, then I was like, I don't know where he is. He never gets up this early. I'm going to keep trying him. So then, um, uh, it's 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 Hawthorne and Milton Berle, Russell Finch, um, having a little uh, a little break, having some Coca Cola and bottles. He's like, I say, what sort of chap is this brother-in-law of yours anyhow? Uh, um, uh, he's a nut. Why? Well, I was just thinking, um, if Reggie, that's my brother-in-law, if if Reggie got a hold of some information like this information, it's as likely as not that that would be the last time anyone will see or hear from old Reggie. Uh, eh, what? Uh, cheers. So it's just the idea of Milton Berle going like, holy crap. If we tell him and he does get there, he'll get all the money and leave. He'll just keep all of the money. Like, and so he, 
says to uh, they get back in the car and they're they're going to keep driving to a further filling station. They don't just stop forever. But the next time they see a gas station, they'll call the pull over and call again. But Ethel Merman does not like aspersions being cast on on her son by some foreigner. Um, so uh, so she stop this car. Really, madam? And he stops. <laughs> and she reaches over, pulls the keys out of the car, and then gets out of the car and says, "If my boy is out, then we're all out." So you know, you think that? Well, so uh, so is Sebastian out or not? Um, like yes, because your son is a no good, uh, lying, uh, loud mouth, no good bum. Who, if he isn't a crook, it's only because he doesn't have the sense or ambition to even become a crook. I say, good show. Um. And Such so, a great line. <laughs> so good. Ugh. And so then she says, okay, fine. So then she puts the keys down her cleavage, which is kryptonite in 1963. Of course. Kryptonite. Um, and so they, they it's they, they they like, listen, I don't want to do this, but you're gonna force us. So eventually they're able she chases them around. They, she, they chase her around, uh, they grab her, turn her upside down, and and shake the keys out of her bosoms. While the, the 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 his her daughter uh, Milton Burrow's wife is is horrified. Um, so listen, I'm willing to say I'm sorry, but you forced us. Now please come with us. If you don't if you don't want to come with us, you don't have to. But I would like you to come with us. I'm very sorry. How dare you get your hands off my daughter? I'm not coming anywhere with you. Uh, we really should piss on. And so that's where they split. Okay. So it's uh, now just Russell Finch and Algernon Hawthorne. Now. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> so <laughs> um now uh pike stops to pick them up he just he doesn't he doesn't realize it's them until he's already pulled over for them it's like i'm not paying something no 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 stop listen i'm gonna call my son he lives about 10 miles from rita beach he's gonna get every you'll we'll get everything you're gonna get nothing unless you give us a ride so that's why he he picks them up okay well so, justified in this i love that right Finch and Hawthorne have stopped at a at another service station and they're having an argument about whether to go back because let's just say Sylvester does get there and he does do something for his mother and gives her some. We're not going to get anything. Like, well, uh, surely I'd be entitled to the 10% as agreed. She wouldn't go. She wouldn't break her word. Surely. Surely. And so they get back in the car. They're going to go find her. But as they pull out... I know how Americans think, man. As they pull out and go this way, that's when that's when Pike pulls in with with a tow truck. They just miss each other. So she goes and she's um talk, so Pike is having uh, murder fantasies about Doctor Zillman that he just wants to make sure that uh, young Mrs. Finch does not look when he beats him to death. Um, so uh, so anyway uh, um, so anyway she she's able to finally get a hold of him. You hear bells, baby, uh, and she picks up the phone. And f- Hello. Who is this? Who is this? I want my son. I want Sylvester. Sylvester, it's your mom. She throws the phone at him. Hey, mama, how you doing, baby? Like it's just this ridiculous way that early '60s thought drug addicts were. But anyway, um, so uh, she says she's trying to get him to listen. He won't listen. The only thing he hears is that his brother-in-law and some Englishmen have assaulted his wife. Assaulted his mother, right? Assaulted his mother. Um, uh, and so he says, you stay right there. Like, Mama, where are you? I'm in I'm in some gas station in a place called Plaster City. Just shut up and listen. You stay right there, Mama, because I'm coming to save you. 
Like, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. And so he hangs up the phone and he's going to drive to Placer City. He's like, he hung up. He's coming here and I'm not to worry because he's going to fix everything. And then he looks, she, he looks, she looks at her daughter and says, exactly like your father, a big, stupid, muscle-headed moron. Um, muscle, like, here's the thing also, early 1960s. Um, um, this guy, I can't remember, uh, Dick Sean is 155 pounds soaking wet. But he is referred oh, to yeah. over and over again by As the most muscle. athletic specimen specimen there's ever seen. He has no muscle on his Darby body. Darby Allen, whatsoever. this guy. Yeah, yes. it's like... yeah. He looks like he looks like Dan Housen without the face paint. Like yeah. no tattoos. Um so that now now what are you gonna do? Sylvester's coming in the opposite direction. He's not gonna be there for to help them. Okay. So um they um no. Uh okay, so um, I'm so glad you're leaving this one. I know you normally do. But this is this is a yes. tough one to review. This is really tough. I, I write everything down. So um, now they're driving on again, and she's yelling at Pike about it's all his fault for crashing to begin with. Just keep on calling an idiot, an idiot, an idiot, an idiot over and over again. Finally, he stops. Says, "You can get out of this car right now. You're not going to do anything. Drive on, you big stupid idiot." Um, and so then the, the 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 her daughter gets out and tries to reason with Pike, and didn't realize that the car is in neutral. So it is now rolling back down a hill, and they have to run after the car, okay? So, um, now, Finch and Hawthorne are driving on. They realize that when they went back for her, she's not there, okay? So, um, where are they? Well, I don't know. It's like, uh, now, this, uh, we must press on with all possible dispatch. All right, we'll press on with all possible dispatch. And I really don't think that personal rancor is going to solve the situation, if I may say so. Uh, it's like, <laughs> so... Now, the so next good. time we see them, they are arguing about who's the better military might country. <laughs> because um, Russell is wearing uh, uh, like a captain's hat. So I think we're supposed to believe he's a Navy veteran, even though they never say it. But like the way he... It, anyway, he's it so, feels that way. It does feel that way. Now, and then, of course, the other guy's a colonel in Her Majesty's Army. So um, they have this uh, this thing like where... Um, he says some really bad things. Like, if it wasn't for Len Lease, we gave you billions of dollars you wouldn't even be thankful for. Your whole, the whole country would have sunk into the ocean years ago. Like, get out of this machine. It's my machine. And you should get out of my machine. Uh, he just gives the call on the car machine. It's so good. Um, and uh, then, he, then he says, I'm, I'm, I've been really on edge this morning. And if I said something bad about it, I'm really, I, I do apologize. Um, it says, and then so <clears throat> he says, thank you. He gets the car back into gear and they just keep driving. And I had to. I went and I found this, and I'm going to do the whole monologue because it is the brill- most brilliant thing in the entire movie. It's the best piece of writing in the best in the whole movie. I, I, I love it so, especially Terry Thomas who delivers it so well. Just, I must say that if I had the grievous misfortune to be a citizen of this benighted country, I should be the most hesitant of offering any criticism, whatever, of any other. Now wait a minute. Are you knocking this country? Are you saying something against America? Against it? I should be positively astounded to hear anything that could be said for it. By the whole bloody place, the most unspeakable matriarchy in the whole history of civilization. Look at yourself. The way your wife and a strumpet of a mother-in-law, of a strumpet of a mother, push you through the hoop. 
as far as I can see, American men have been totally emasculated. They're like slaves. They die like flies from coronary thrombosis, while their women sit under hair dryers, eating chocolates and arranged for every second Tuesday to be some sort of Mother's Day. And this infantile preoccupation with bosoms. In all my time in this godforsaken country, the one thing that has appalled me most of all, this preposterous preoccupation with bosoms. Do you want to realize that they have become the more dominant theme in American culture, in literature, appetite, appetite and all fields of advertising, and all fields of entertainment and everything. I'll wager you anything you like that if American women stopped wearing braziers, your entire national economy would collapse overnight. It's the longest speech anybody gets in the entire film. They gave it to like the seventh most important character and Terry <laughs> Thomas knocks it out Crushed of the it. park. That like... <laughs> Just the, and it's the, not I'm, entirely necessary. So the idea that they had five hours to cut from. Oh, you got to keep this in it. That, that was it, right? They were like, it's just too good. Because it's superfluous. It's they don't need to. So this was, keeping this in was just the choice of, we love this. And I appreciate it even more stopped now. stopped wearing braziers, your entire national economy would it's collapse overnight. Oh my God. bosoms. So good. Oh, it's so good. But uh, eventually, the wheel does break off the car. Of course it does. Um, and uh, and they have a fight because they're angry at each other about a lot of things. The, 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 the car crashes. It's no longer drivable. They get out of the car. And they have a fight between two middle-aged men who don't know how to fight. Yeah, it's pretty great. It's, it's great. It's a very great comedy fight. At one point, uh, Milton Berle tries to spear Terry Thomas off the edge of a cliff. <laughs> And Terry Thomas just moves slightly. He pulls a Samoa Joe. I was just, just going to say, it's the slightly. Samoa Joe walkway spot. And Milton Berle flies Hollywood. off a cliff. And eventually is able to climb back up on top of the cliff. In the sequel, he gets caught in a cravat. That's yeah, the... <laughs> um, he, he climbed back on top of the cliff, and they have more of a fight. And the end of the fight is that they try to punch each other, end up punching each other in the hand. It's so it's funny. Great, it's a great moment. It's um, so well done. And then um, this is uh, right around here is where everything is is coming to a head. Um, we don't know if Dingy and Benji are going to crash the plane. Uh, the entire hardware store is on fire. Um, these guys are having this big fight. Uh, and this is where Spencer Tracy is losing his mind because he's been just informed that he's not going to get a pension increase. He doesn't have the and money to retire. And it's because he like shut he down whorehouses. And it's because he shut down whorehouses. And his wife... And in his in his and his daughter are yelling through the phones that he can hear about how it's your father's fault. I hate your father. I'm going to divorce him. I hate him too. I'm never going to speak to him again. And that like his entire life is falling apart in this moment. And they actually have a intermission because that's a thing you would do in the early 1960s when a movie was long. You'd have an intermission. So they come back from the intermission, and this is a lot of a lot faster things that happen all at once. But I have to say too. Like effortlessly done, like four cliffhangers yeah. is in the in the middle or two thirds of the way through the movie or whatever mm-hmm. is really really impressive yeah. and cool and like yeah. super rare. I was I had that same thought of what you had just kind of said of just like oh wow like everybody has a cliffhanger and they're all going to get resolved because they're mm-hmm. all headed toward the same thing. That's just right. like a a really fun storytelling device. We don't really see all that often, so yeah, very fun. Very um, we come back to the Crumps in the basement, <laughs> having put out the fire, and now it's time for some dynamite. 
Since Caesar has, I had to. It was um, right there. He had to. He's put a couple of sticks of dynamite up against the brick wall. Um, that is on the side where there's another building. They could, you know, a, a way out, an exterior wall, right? So, um, we're 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 it's in the other room, seventy feet away. We're behind this really strong counter. Nothing's going to get us. So we watch the fuse very slowly come over here. And at one point, it the 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 spark jumps off and starts burning a hole into the side of a box marked fireworks. Again, the fuse can Looney Tunes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the 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 uh, the fuse keeps going until it stops in a little puddle of fire extinguisher extinguent. <laughs> um, and uh, and so then they hear they hear that it's not stop, it's not going anymore. He, he gets up and takes a look. He says, "Ah, oh, I see the fire extinguisher stuff. The fire extinguisher stuff got over the fuse and put it out. I'll go relight it." Like, what? Don't you go into that room? You're going to be blown to bits. Uh, like, why do you assume that I can't do anything for myself? <laughs> why are you always like this? Why can't you have any confidence in me? All the fireworks blow up at once. Uh, and the, the stuntman dives over the table. It's great. Um, and there's this awesome moment where... Sid uh, <laughs> Caesar's like, shh, 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 the fireworks. And then he crawls to the end of the thing and tries to peer around the counter and a bunch of, like, fireworks, bottle rockets shoot right by his face. Um, so, so there, so there's that. Now they're trying to, the, 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 uh, there's a, there's a, uh, airport and the, the air traffic control has figured out how to contact the guys in the plane. We're going to talk them down. We got to get Colonel Wilberforce in here. He's got a twin engine beach. He knows all the controls. He'll help talk them down. The problem is Colonel Wilberforce is the most boring, long-winded man <laughs> in existence. And all the other air traffic control guys are all looking around like, like, I can't believe how long this is taking him. Like, a courage, man. A courage. Just like, just like in Normandy in 1944. Courage. And like he just keeps talking about all this stuff. This was um, another place I couldn't stop thinking about how this inspired Airplane. Because remember, mm, in an yeah. Airplane where they're bringing the plane down yes. and he's just yes. talking striker striker yep. oh so uh, good this is so, so good. much fun they play with that, urgency and pacing in this movie so well so um, well they take uh oh so 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 um mickey rooney is talking figures out how to work the thing says okay so it's very important that the man at the wheel is the same guy on on the headset and so he keeps trying to put it on Buddy Hackett. Like, no, I don't want to. I don't want to. The, the, the guy says that the, 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 the fella who's at the wheel needs to be on, on the things. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm driving the plane. I got to talk on the thing, too. What are you doing? What are you, the hostess? Like, it was just so good. <laughs> Buddy Hackett's great. And eventually, the next time we see it, he's not wearing the headset on his ears. It's down around his cheeks. And because Buddy Hackett has those giant friggin' fat cheeks, it's just he just looks like this for the entirety of... Oh, it's so funny. It's so funny. It's such but a the whole deliberately thing, fun thing. And they keep trying to talk him down, and it doesn't work, and it doesn't work. And eventually, Killer Wilberforce is is entangled in this wire on the on the like the outer balcony, trying to wave them away from crashing into the tower and falls off the tower himself. But he's bungee jumping because he's entangled in the wire. Somehow they just land. Like it's like after all that, they just like eventually get close to the ground and land. Now they don't know how to work the brakes. 
So as they're driving on the ground, taxiing at a high rate of speed, they crash into a restaurant. And then uh, they they jump out of the car. This is where, at one point, the camera pans over and just sees the Three Stooges standing there as firemen, just standing there like that's their, that's their cameo. That's it. This also, be, this also be noted, but because of the aspect ratio was originally, was it 2.97 colon 1. And like most of like widescreen TVs are 2.35. So there's a lot of times where you'll see like a wide shot, but isn't wide enough wide on the regular yeah. TV screen because it's supposed to be even wider. wider. Like it was supposed to, it was in, filmed in Panavision, which was a big thing in the early 60s where like these, these but like huge sprawling epics like um, Lawrence of Arabia or Dr. Zhivago would have these incredible long wide shots that were in, they were in Panavision but our TVs that are now aren't equipped for that. So it's, it's interesting, like certain things we like, you'll see like half a guy's face. Yes. Um, so they get out of the, they get out of the plane um, and they sprint away from everybody who's trying to find out what's going on. And they just hop in a cab and they drive off. You know where the resident of state park is? Yeah, sure. Come on, we gotta go. And they jump in the cab and the guy, their, their cabbie is played by Rochester Anderson, who was a, 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 a veteran um black actor from the 1930s and 40s he was in gun with the wind um yeah it's uh yeah it's interesting like they they found all these all these people who are um who are famous uh, for other things to have tiny little bit parts in here um uh okay so oh wait did i go um uh okay so they, this he tries to, okay Crump, dentist, try uh, is gonna is gonna try the dynamite again. Okay, so um, drive drive. He but the wife says, "Can you just please try the door with the hammer one more time?" You know how much I hate explosions. I mean, the stairs are all burnt out. This isn't safe. Uh, but please, okay, fine. Hits the ha- sledgehammer, goes up, tries to hit the door one time. Stairs collapse. Um, he's like, "Hey, Monica, can we forget about the door?" Please. <laughs> um, eventually, they also blow up. They use the dynamite. It does work. It blows a hole in the wall. They go through. It's a Chinese laundry because, of course, it is because it's early sixties. So you got to have some racist humor in there. Of course. Um, um, so they 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 go through. They go through. So <laughs> Caesar steps in, sees the guys. He goes, "Oh, hello." Uh, the uh, the lock didn't work. So <laughs> that's it's so that good. Is, it's so is, well done. <laughs> that is uh. the explanation. For why there's a giant hole that has been exploded oh, in the side of their the business. So so well they, delivered, it cracked me up. They they get out, uh, bring in with them. Oh, by the way, that um, they're covered in paint because there was a paint that fell over a lot. They're covered in paint; <laughs> they're all destroyed. Um, but they've got their pick and their shovel, and they're they're running out. And Mister Dinkler is there, who ha- they haven't seen. And the cops have to hold Dinkler back from beating the hell out of Mister Caesar. You vandals and um. So, uh, like, anyway, so they get a cab, and the cab is their cab is driven by Peter Falk, Columbus, yeah. and he's he's great in this. He's got a small part, but he's, he's so good. So good, man. Okay, now Otto Meyer, Doctor Zillman, he climbs out of the drink. He finds the way back to the main road. He flags down a, a, a vehicle that's being driven by Don Knotts, who is Don Knotts, of course, from from the Incredible Mister Fish, uh, or whatever, and um. Andy Griffith, Don Knotts, brilliant, 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 the comedian. And he's so good in this. 
It's entire, almost everything he does is just reactions to the things that Phil yes. Silvers is telling him because they're being tailed by a police helicopter. And, um, and so, uh, he's, he's freaking out about it. It's like, ah, oh, they always use them. Who does? Who do you think? Now I want you to pull over to this, this silver station and get on the phone and call CIA. Tell them that X-27, X-27 told you they've already made three attempts on my life today. Don't look back there. They'll see you. And so it's just Don Knotts trying to look in the rearview mirror, but not looking. He's just doing this while trying to drive. So and much It's fun. so good. And they pulls over. It's like, don't, don't worry. They haven't seen you. But if you stand here, they'll spot you. So run in and call me the call. And Don Knotts has to do like 12 takes. Like he's this way, this way, this way, this spins around, runs that way. Don Knotts in five minutes. So, so, so funny. Um, so then Otto Meyer, of course, steals Don Knotts' car and drives off with it so he can get there. Now, um, Finch and Hawthorne have somehow decided to, to still be friends, at least enough that they're not going to leave each other behind. And they rent right. one car because it was only one car at the rental place. And they're driving there themselves. Uh, Pike and uh, Mrs. Marcus and her daughter, um, Ethel Merman and her daughter, are in a tow truck. They're driving away. Sylvester's going in the opposite direction. Okay? So, um, uh, Pike and Marcus in the tow truck, uh, they see him, and they and she forces him to turn around and you turn it and take him. He's going to go all the way to Plaster City. So he goes all the way to Plaster City. That's fine. If you want to catch him, you get out and run. So then he does a U-turn again. Um, so he's driving out. Now, Sylvester is driving the other way, and he sees Finch pass him. So he does a U-turn. The driving stunts in this movie are impeccable. Such good – all the filming of it, it's all so good. So he drives around. He chases down Finch and Hawthorne. They – they said, oh, who is that? Who is – who is the – I say, who is that bloke leg on his hooter? <laughs> so good. He turns like, oh, oh, my God, that's my brother-in-law. You do not stop for him. He's not normal. So then they pass the tow truck. Which excites Emmeline. Oh, look, it's Russell, Mr. Hawthorne. It's Sylvester. Yay! I don't know why she's so excited for a second. And um, so they're trying to chase them down. But meanwhile, Sylvester is trying to run them off the road. And he's successful eventually. But most times it's like off the road for a bit. They leap over a fence. They keep going. They back on. It's crazy stunts. And so he eventually runs them off the road into a ditch. And Russell, uh, um, um, Uh, did you take my mama? Like, I, I, I wouldn't touch your sainted mother. Of course not. So he's beating him. And then uh, I say, now look here. And so then uh, Sylvester's like, are you English? Because answer me, are you English? Like, yes, as a matter of fact, I am. And he throws him off off the bridge into the ditch himself. He says, an Englishman, she told me that you and this Englishman, I'll kill you. Uh, and eventually a tow truck pulls up. I says, Sylvester, why didn't you just listen? You dumbass. Why didn't you listen, says Ethel Merman. And they're like, what are you talking about? And then <laughs> Algernon Hawthorne peeks his head up over the bridge and goes, I say, that chap has run absolutely amok. It's great. It's so great. <laughs> so everyone is now in the tow truck. The chaos is uh, so much fun. Uh, so good. Like I, watching all of this unfold felt very like, um, I, I, it's just amazing how much they're in control of it the whole time. Right. And like, it felt like a, a piece of a Frasier episode where there's like all this hijinks that it's caused on miscommunication. That it's, it's a it, moving it's farce. so well done. Farces, farces, 
are supposed to are on the theater are in one one central location with a bunch of doors that people can walk in and out of to en- exit and enter. That's how you do editing of the scenes. The scene all always happens in the same place. It's just different people exit and enter the scene. This is a moving farce where all the different everyone intercuts and comes in and out of the major point. But it's it's such it's so well done. Um, this scene, though, where they're driving along, Sylvester is driving, the women are sitting beside him, and the other three men, Milton Berle, Terry Thomas, and Jonathan Winters, are all standing up there uh, uh, in the back of the tow truck, standing with their heads above the tow truck. There's no wind. It's fine, because everything's fake. But they're um, like, you got to believe me, Mr. Pike. Uh, we wanted to stop for you. Hawthorne wanted to stop for you, but it's my my mother-in-law. Like she she wouldn't let us stop for you. Listen, whatever you tell me about your mother-in-law, I'll believe. Okay, <laughs> believe me. And then uh, Phil Silvers passes them, going ninety miles an hour, and somehow John Winters can see that it's him. He goes, Ah, oh, there he is, that dirty crook! I'll kill you, you son of a bitch, you dirty rotten, you dirty robber! As he almost falls out of the vehicle, trying to grab at him. And Terry Thomas grabs him, pulls him back in, and says, I say, someone you know. <laughs> it's just, it's somebody undercutting, uh, like, the perfect characters that 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 relate to others in such a great way. Everybody knows how to assign right. weight, like, comedic weight to everything they're saying yeah. so perfectly. Like, they lighten up when there's so much absurdity around, right. and then they crank up absurdity in the more normal parts. It's It's such a blast. Checking back in with Spencer Tracy, who's decided now he's going to take all the money and run. As he should. Good for Spencer he's Tracy is what I was decided, thinking at this moment in the movie. <laughs> he's decided that he is going to take the confiscate the money when they find it as a policeman, and he's going to he's going to take the money to Mexico. He's, because his wife is Good divorcing his wife is divorcing him, whatever. So she doesn't deserve um, half of that. Right. Okay, so he's he's um he's gonna go. Um, so his his big plan is none of them know me, none of them have ever seen me before. I'll be moving in alone. When they all get to Santa Rosa Zeta Beach State Park, I'll be there by myself. I don't want another policeman within miles of me. Now I don't know how he can just make that call by himself, but at the sixty were a different time. So they all say, "Sure, Captain, whatever you say." So this is his big plan. Everyone gets to Santa Rosa Beach State Park eventually. But the first that are get there at the almost the exact same time are Dingy Bell and Benji Benjamin and the Crumps. And um, uh, they realize they're the first ones there. So if we find it, we'll, let's all look together. We'll split up. We'll report back. We'll, we'll, we'll split it amongst ourselves. So uh, then all of a sudden, Otto Meyer shows up, Phil Silvers, Dr. Zillman. He runs out of the bushes carrying a shovel. Who's that? I don't know. He runs away. He had a shovel. Like it doesn't matter. Let's find the W. So they can't find a W. Okay, but eventually they realize that we realize what the W is because they have this great scene. Like like you go the way we went, and you go the way. But that's right. So um, they they did this great scene with Caesar and, and them, and they run away, and then we can see him behind them. The W is not a waterfall or a windmill or even a walnut tree. It is four trees that that are growing at an angle that make O W. Um, it's, it's a, it's a classic thing. So, um, all the other people get there and they're all running around trying to find each other. The cabbies are there. The cabbies have like, think something must be up because everyone's running around with, uh, with these, the, 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 the crumps are all covered in paint. Everyone's got shovels and picks. 
what's going on? So they, they're, they're, they're sure they're in this as well. So everyone's running around. Um, and eventually, um, uh, Emmeline, Mrs. Milton Burrell wants nothing to do with this, but she does feel a little, little, little warm. So she's going to go in and, and get, get, get her handkerchief a little wet at the, at the water fountain and dab it, just dab it a little bit. Cause she's yes, a, a woman, a woman of the early sixties and she's very proper. Um, and so she sees the W and Spencer Tracy sees her, see the W. And so they, they, they have a little, she's, she's very sweet to her and she likes him. And so um, she's, if I have half of the money, then I can go somewhere where no one can find me, not Russell or mother or Sylvester, nobody. I could go and join a convent. <laughs> like that's, that's her dream is to go and join a convent. Um, that by the, by, the way, alone, by the way, which is very relatable. The character of uh, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Finch, uh, who wants to join a convent, is portrayed by me in this picture. And you look right. I we yeah, love I, this I, for I, you. I, my my dream is to attend a convent. Look at the the yellow in your hair, the little That's ribbon. So good. You mm, look great. So nice. What I a do. thumbnail! I look great. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. I've been going to the um, gym. I got some right. <clears throat> arms look great so, in that. So eventually, Pike sees. Otto Meyer, Phil Silvers, Dr. Zillman hiding and starts chasing him. Like that's the guy I'm going to try and kill. And while chasing him, he has an epiphany, Tiffany epiphany. So I'm turns around, sees the W and he's like, Oh my God, that's a big W. I tell you, it's the big W. And they all go, okay, well now we got to, now we got to dig it up. You might even say Um, Alex four roots. Yep. One tree. That's actually quite good. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So, so they, so they're, but they're, I do they're, love the symbolism of that, right? Like right. the converging in one spot and there's four different, mm-hmm. it's nice. It's a nice And little... the way that Otto Meyer gets him to not be murdered <laughs> is, is he says, I, look, look, listen, the big boy here. He's, he's the guy who found it. I insist that he should get an extra share. Uh, and, oh, well, thanks. <laughs> so Pike is very dumb. Um, so um, they start digging for it. They're digging with pipe with with uh, pickaxe and everything. Also, by the way, Spencer Tracy just standing there watching, mm-hmm. watching everything. Um, they're digging, and eventually, for, first it's like four guys. Um, uh, Mickey Rooney is one of them, which seems odd. That was weird. Like, yeah. He seems to be like the physically weakest guy of the bunch. Um, so anyway, eventually he jumps out, um, and it's and it, it, it and, and Crump jumps out, and it's just Sylvester and Jonathan Winters. Now we've seen Jonathan Winters. Single-handedly with his bare hands, destroy a gas station. But he is deemed to be not the most physically fit men among us. Sylvester, again, who has the body of Darby Allen, is the guy who must dig by himself down the hole. And so they're doing. Um, and eventually they hit uh Pater. They hit a mm-hmm. a, 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 a thing of thing of metal, which we'll pull that back, and there's a suitcase, suitcases full of three hundred fifty thousand dollars. And um, they're going to um, divvy it up. They're going to count how many shares. Everyone gets a share. Okay. Um, so, uh, except for Phil Silvers, counts himself twice. He goes around the circle. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. And everyone realizes immediately he's counted himself twice. So that now you're now you're out. You're done. Um, well, if I'm out, I'm going to go straight to the police. Um, and such as, what makes you think the police would have any interest in this, Mr. Meyer? 
well, wait a minute. How do you know my name? I don't believe I've ever met you. Well, Mr. Pike, uh, I, I understand too. Uh, anyway, um, who are you? Mr. Pike, I'm, well, I don't know who you are either. I know all of you because I'm Captain Culpepper of the Santa Rosa Police Department. And we've been looking for that money. Um, so basically they're like, ah, crap. So they, they, they put the money in, in Captain Culpepper's car and uh, says, all right, so now so you could, you could give us a break. Uh, maybe you could, you know, be nice. We to destroyed us. so many things on our way well, here. Buddy Hackett, break buddy, even on the trip, yeah. Buddy Hackett goes. We've had a really hard day. <laughs> we, we got all covered in in dust, and we fell down in an airplane. And <laughs> my grandmother's dying in Oxnard. Um. So, just, uh, by the way, Oxnard, like top five funniest names of any city in America. Oxnard. Yeah, no, that's really that's a that's a funny one. That's great. That's anyway, so um, so he says, well, instead of my turning you in, if you all turned yourselves in, sometimes juries look very favorably on that. So all you got to do is get in the two cabs, go down to Santa Rosita Police Station, turn your and, and walk in. Um, we can't all fit in the two cabs though. Uh, well, you can't take the stolen vehicle, so it's have to be stay stay here to be picked up later. Um, Okay, so I guess we'll get in the cabs. But they realize as they were as they're driving out that they see that he who's following them is going the opposite direction to where the police station is. <laughs> and so they turn around and start following him, and they're all talking to each other about uh, about what it is. Um, and they end up following him. By the way, by, because remember, there's no cops here. Oh, they they um they, oh um yeah, no cops here. So he goes down slowly to this little. Uh, dock, his little wharf disused by the water. He's going to take a boat to Mexico. Remember, they're only like five or six miles from the from the Mexico Mexico border. That's where Santa Rosita is. They're very close. So he gets in, he gets out, and he's going to leave his car in the garage there, get on a boat, and go. There's a guy there who's helping him get the car into the garage. But then the cabs show up, and he's got to peel out of the garage. He says, "Sorry, Jimmy," to the guy. And he keeps driving on and he drives away and they all follow him. And Jimmy's there trying to figure out what to do. Jimmy is played by one of the greatest comedians in the history of the world, Buster Keaton. He has no lines and we never see his face. I'm willing to bet there was he's more stuff that we floor. saw. Yeah. He's on the cutting room floor. <laughs> but it's just crazy that this Buster Keaton, we never even see his face. Um, but anyway, um, so there's a crazy high-speed police, uh, police chase with uh, Special Tracy and the two cabs following. Um, and there's all these like down alleyways, back roads. There's one extra that nearly died. One stuntman who's an extra, an extra character, but he's a stuntman. But he moves out of the way of the car at the last possible second. Like it's yeah. crazy. <laughs> um, that nearly, nearly, nearly died. Um, but they, um, as this chase is happening, people are radioing in like we see captain Culpepper. He's going about 90 miles an hour, but was he chasing anybody? Cause Al is there. Oh, by the way, Al has gotten on the phone with the mayor and blackmailed him. <laughs> Cause I have enough stuff in my files that I know you and the DA and the entire, and, and a two thirds majority of the, of the city council. I could put you away. I could put myself away for the rest of time with all the corrupt things that we've done. We're going to, you're going to, very here for this revenge tour. Yeah. Honestly. I was like, 
I hope we, I was like, I hope this is the end of the movie. Take the money, get out of here. <laughs> Roll up everything on your way out. I was like, I'm, I'm here for him being the victor in this. <laughs> so Al says, um, uh, I want the pension not doubled, tripled. Or, or I'm gonna, or I'm gonna. I want a paper underlining that you're gonna do all this. And I want it in my hands in this office in 15 minutes, or I'll have every reporter in the town in here in 20. Now you know the word for this, Your Honor. It's called blackmail. I love that line. It's great. So well done. Um, so while Captain Culpepper is is being chased by two cabs at 90 miles an hour down city streets, <laughs> and they're on the radio trying to get him to stop. That's when the mayor walks in with this piece of paper, trying to get everything ready, and he's like, um, and they won't, they can't, they can't raise him on the horn. He stopped the car. He's gotten out. He's running away. Um, so it, it, our, all units arrest Captain Culpepper because he's broken all these laws, and they realize he's trying to get away with the money. So they tear up this thing, and so that's it. That's his limit. The thing. Now he where he has stopped is down a dead end alley. He's gotten out and he's run into this building. Um. And uh, it, we don't know it until he gets in there, but it's like a condemned hotel. Like a hotel. Yeah. And um, uh, so he goes in there, followed by all of the men. You women stay here. What do you mean, you women stay here? Just stay here. They're delicate good thing they flowers. It's a good thing they stayed there. Um, there's de- delicate flowers. Delicate flowers. Del- delicate, very delicate. Delicate. Flowers. The most delicate of flowers. Especially that darling on the left. My God. Oh, uh, what a delicate flower. Um, so, um, they run into this lobby. He's gone up this big, big, grand winding staircase, right? Up to the different floors. He realizes they're in the lobby. So he stops and they stop. Let's listen. Where is it? Where is he? And then he tries to like sneak up the stairs, but like reaches to grab the suitcase by the little handle and it breaks off because it's been in the ground for 15 years and it falls and they hear him. And so they start chasing him. Now he's an old man. I mean, he's 60, but he might as well be 90. But he's 90. And they're ch- so they, they gain on him. But eventually, um, Sid Caesar, who's the, in the lead, dives for him, misses, and everyone gets caught up in the giant pile of Sid Caesar. So he gets all the way to the roof. Oh, this scene, though, the shot. They've somehow built a freestanding staircase with no one wall. And they're just moving the camera up every floor as they climb a spiral staircase and it's a brilliant shot because you see each person climbing up there. Going and it's up, always Mil- Milton Berle who's last because I think he's asthmatic. Um, and they get all the way there, the top to the roof. And then I guess it was Spencer Tracy's idea. They wouldn't follow him up there. And that once he got to the, st- to the, to the fire escape, everything would be fine. But they follow him down the fire escape. They're all trying to get to the money. They're all on the fire escape together. This is a condemned building. And so you can know it's condemned because there's all these uh, people in a demolition crew who are across the street in the park being talked to by the foreman. And yeah, they look up and see the, 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 hey, that's not safe up there. Please get down. Um, and so the fire escape breaks loose and is hanging there. Um, and they, they're all reaching for the suitcase, which opens. And all the bills flutter down. Everyone gets free money. Tax free money. Um, um, and so then a fire engine comes up and there's a fire ladder that extends all the way up there. And one fire fireman gets up there 
So, okay, now everybody get on one at a time. And they all try to climb on. It's like, no, I said one at a time. And they all try to climb on. He says, okay, all right, you'll see. You'll see, which feels like not the thing a fireman should do. Probably not. Like, like probably like, you know what? Fine, die. See if I care. I'm this pretty was sure that's on his best day. Not in the fireman's code. No. Die if you want to. I don't care. Um, but they all climb on the fire on the on the fire uh, ladder, while the fire escape collapses even further. And one by one, all the gentlemen on the fire ladder fall to various uh, horrible fates. The first to fall off is Sid Caesar. Who gets the worst of it? He does. He, fall, he flies back into the hotel through like a boarded up window into the stairwell, crashing down several flights of stairs um, through railings and stuff. That's that's really bad. That that's might be crazy. death. Peter Falk is the second one. Peter Falk, the, just, just a cabbie, just along for the ride. Purported in for work that day, never knowing this was going to happen. Poor fella. He falls off the fire the fire ladder um, all the way through and crashes through a wooden footbridge into a little man-made creek. That's death. I'm sorry. From the height, that's that's death. Um, the other cabbie, Rochester Anderson, black guy, falls, bounces off the trampoline they got there to catch people, and lands um, in the lap of a statue of Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> which I think is supposed to be a weird, like, emancipation proclamation joke. I was, what I, that's what I thought too, yeah. But he lands ribs first across a, like a stone, like, that's not good. He's not, not well. Um, but a bunch of other guys, they're fine. Like, um, oh, uh, Phil Silvers, one of the worst guys in the entire thing, he flies through the air through a glass window, Okay, through lands on a Murphy bed, which then folds up. I mean, honestly, that uh, if you got to fall off a fire ladder that's eight stories high, yeah, that's a probably Murphy the way. Not bad. He yeah. lands on a bed. He's okay. Um, Jonathan Winters lands at a giant uh, dumpster full of liquid concrete, which sucks for when it hardens. But right now, it's a pretty pretty nice yeah, way to fall. Not bad. Um, uh, Mickey Rooney and Benji Benjamin um, and uh, Dingy Bell, Benji Benjamin and Colonel Hawthorne, unfortunately. Uh, fall onto some power lines, which are live. And so they're all dead. They're all dead now. I mean, they're not, but they should have been. Uh, and so then they they fall off of that um, um, into a fountain, which notoriously is not very deep and also has hard stuff underneath that six inches of water. So great. they're not, they're not doing okay. Um, Milton, Milton Burl falls through like a wooden roof of something. He's not okay. Um, uh, you have the least clever one. Like you yeah. just boom. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Sylvester somehow flies at such an angle that he just belly flops across an incredibly long table that is set up for some, I don't know, pie eating contest in the park. Yeah. Like, he's just going straight head first yeah. through this whole thing. Yep. Not good. Um, and uh, I think that's I think that's all of them. Uh, and then Spencer Tracy. Who is um uh who is clinging to a he fell out of the out of the ladder onto a tree clinging to a palm frond that falls so it's like a zip line down a, a telephone line into the top floor of a pet store but then falls down into the main floor of the pet store unconscious and a bunch of dogs licking him which is not like probably would hurt but at least the doggies are licking his face yeah you get to hang out with some dogs um the next scene the final scene of the whole film is all of these men in various states of being uh, in a cast 
They're all like a horrible full body cast. And terrible it's so thing. great, man. It's, it's just like Sylvester's the best one because he did fall head first down this crazy uh, um, table. So all of his fingers are broken because he was trying to put them out in front of himself. His entire face is just gauzed up. Um, and um, but everyone's in, in 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 like even for a policeman. I must say that your behavior was ruddy outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, Buddy Hackett is eating a banana. I don't know why Buddy Hackett is eating a banana except for the final thing that happens, which is um, that uh, Sister Tracy says, um, you know, uh, Phil Silver says, whatever happens to us, what happens to you, I hope will be worse. I don't think I have to worry about that because my wife is divorcing me. I'm, I'm disgraced. I'm never going to get a pension. I'm going to die penniless. My 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 daughter's disowning me. Uh, what? However, um, the only reason that you guys were probably going to get off lightly is be because the, uh, the judge will have me up there to throw the book at. Um, and uh, I was like, oh, that's too bad. They all like sneer at him. And Buddy Hackett, for some reason, again, only for this reason, throws the banana peel on the floor, and in walk all the women with Ethel Merman at the head of them. They're all wearing their little little hospital gowns. They all walk in. Now, see here, you idiots. This is all your fault. And she slips in the banana peel and lands on her tailbone. And everyone in the hospital uh, room laughs as though Patch Adams has walked in. Uh, <laughs> laughter is the best medicine for all of these men. Um, even Spencer Tracy laughs. And that's the end of the movie. That's true. Um... I loved that ending scene of just like the, because the whole thing is like the laughter amid the hysteria, right? Like in, in this whole last sequence and for it to end on that note is so much fun. Nobody, nobody getting away with anything is really fun. Um, the chase also being their downfall is really fun. Like nobody gets away with any money here. It was really just falling out of the sky, right? Yeah. Um, it was just really fun. Like, this, this whole movie was a blast. There's not really, like, a resolution resolution either, which I feel like is rare. Like, I feel like usually you see, like, and this person went to jail. Mm-hmm. This person did mm-hmm. this. The end. Like, cool to see an open-ish ending and all this. Yep. Um, but what a blast of a film. Like, it. I, I don't think I realized how much it was a table setter for a lot of other things that that came after it. I know I mentioned airplane, but like there, there's so many things where you can see flavors of other things in this. Um, the three stooges cameo was great. Cause there's so many references to it in this, but I, it's just impressive what a complex movie it is and how clean and simple the, the way that they navigated it is because yeah, it's it, masterfully it's done a lot. It, of it's one of those things that like, like I can see how you would write it. I can't see how you would direct it and edit it. Oh my like, god, no! The write the writing is brilliant, but it but you can put anything onto a piece of paper. You know what I mean? You can do any. You can put anything out there. It's Making just the it idea of like sense. how how do you make it all make sense? Intertwine all that stuff. All 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 the, the every 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 scene is incredibly well directed. Like it must have been one of the uh, uh, for for a movie of its kind. It must have been one of the highest budgets in movie history at the time. There's so many things they had to build and destroy. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah, just, and it there's, there's... didn't do well at the box office because it was right after JFK's assassination. That was the only thing that I had read, which is like um, crazy. It, it was I didn't do. Nobody's a in of... the mood to laugh. 
nobody wanted to and it's so good um but it was interesting because you don't normally see especially with the movies we're doing you don't see a lot of like in defense of this doing bad at the box office but this mm-hmm. one was like this there's yeah. no reason this shouldn't have been between the right the cast and how good of a movie it was like um Absolutely. yeah it, it was uh it, this was this was so much fun. This this is an absolute blast of a watch. It doesn't feel nearly as long as it is, which is also wow. different than we can say for the other stuff because so much is happening and and it, the way it is is clean and its delivery and the flirtation of what it does with pacing, I, I just blew me away. Um, I, I loved this. I couldn't be keeping this flick anymore in if I tried. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you like comedy, um, yeah. You you gotta go see it because you'll see it, so many things that you've watched since. Right. Uh, that, this was a, a jumping off point for for sure. I'll, I'll also, I'll, I I feel like a lot of comedies from that era feel incredibly dated, and this does not. This is no. This was pretty timeless. I mean, especially just like the 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 character, the, the way the the lines are written and read, don't doesn't feel like I'm old timey. Look at me. I'm gonna talk like this. Like the, the none of that feels. Like the way that things were done, I feel like if this movie had come out 10 years earlier, it might have. But by the 60s, people were kind of getting more into like the way real people talk. That's the way we should talk in film as opposed to, you know, this high, the very um, high energy, fast paced thing. But not everybody is is so, um, all the characters are so well drawn and acted perfectly. It was, it was successful on every front. Like the... Yeah. The cast is amazing. The acting is amazing. The writing's great. The delivery is great. Like I do feel like there are, there, are, there are people in 2023 who will look at a, at a movie that is 60 years old and go, "That couldn't possibly be relevant to me. I would not, or or I wouldn't. I wouldn't. It's not. It's too old. Like it's not. It's not going to be. I'm not going to get it or whatever. This is like you could easily you could easily like redo this right now and not change much of the script. Yes. Except for cell phones being a problem. Like that's that's the thing probably should sure, be. Right. But just, like but like technological but the, advances, but, but the, most yeah. of the lines would be easily you could cast this with great comedians right now and it would all work out. But the problem is you're never gonna find comedians this good now who could all work together uh because uh the the budgets would be out of control. Yeah they, and- they weren't they weren't being paid twelve million dollars a picture back then. You know what I mean? So. No, and it's also um, it, it you still I think you have to have a certain a specific type of of mm-hmm. proficiency too. Like it's a, mm-hmm. a now that comedic style is not like the default comedic style. So you'd have to yeah. you'd have to do it right. But that would be a fun remake challenge. I would love to see yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And when I first when I first saw this, um, again, it would have been like I don't know, maybe not first saw it, but. In the early '90s, I was I, I was I was finally like like a fantasy casting of this for some thing I was doing for school or something, um, and the guy I kept coming up with to play Pike was Chris Farley. Oh, perfect! Yeah, I mean it was early '90s, so we always we didn't know at the time what he was dealing with, but he but he would have been like the the moment where he He's was like guy. just destroying the entire gas station. I would have thought Chris Farley would have had so 100%. much fun with that. You know, but you can easily find a lot of people who would, you know, who could have played these parts at the time. Anyway, that's it. Get the flick. Keep the flick in for this it's week. So in keeping it in. Um, 
Kate doesn't know this, but um, uh, next week, uh, one of the things that she has pitched to me is something that she will be watching because I will be on vacation. I'll be back in time to do the show, but I won't have time to watch Ooh. anything. So you get to you get to pick something and you get to tell me all about it. So that'll okay, be yeah, that'll so be fun. That. All right, uh, next week, uh, I Kate will pick something and I will decide whether or not I'm going to get the flick out of here. Goodbye, everybody. Have a good weekend. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Click the subscribe button and find out what it means to me. Nah, that doesn't have a ring to it. But if you like videos about real news stories that are funny, stupid, or weird, subscribe now.